Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Actavis Group and Icos Corporation, and the citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 15. And before we start, I should probably just warn you that much of what we are covering in today's episode is to do with erectile dysfunction. So while the advantage of a podcast is that you can choose how and when to listen, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this one if you are about to eat. Anyway, for someone who suffers from erectile dysfunction, one of the most common medications that you can take is Viagra. In fact, so far as far as in fact, so far as pharmaceutical products go, Viagra is probably the most well recognised in the world, even though it is actually the brand name for the medication Sildenafil. The drug company Pfizer discovered Viagra when they were researching how to treat chest pain, and the surprising side effect on the male participants meant that the medication took on a life of its own, much to the delight of Pfizer, who made billions of dollars as a result of this happy accident. The thing is, Viagra isn't the only available drug for erectile dysfunction, and in this case we will be focusing on the second most popular medication, Tadalafil, which has the brand name Cialis. The reason that this is a popular alternative is that it is so long-lasting. With Viagra, you simply take the pill, and then within about 20 minutes you are flying at full mast. By the end of a couple of hours, the effects have worn off completely. Cialis is different because the dysfunction is essentially removed for up to 36 hours, and so a man can simply take one pill a day and then function sexually in a regular manner. This apparent return to normality has been associated with a feeling of greater self-confidence amongst users, and unlike the pop-and-go effect of Viagra, feels much more spontaneous and natural. However, the key question is whether using the medication at a lower dosage in order to avoid side effects and also to allow for daily intake, is sufficient to justify a patent. That is what lies at the heart of this case, as a patent was granted to the appellant in this case, Icos, in 2003, but was subject to a challenge by the other party, Actavis, who sought to have it revoked. Now, we haven't really had much of a chance to examine intellectual property law much in this podcast, since I started it a few years ago, and even many of the professional lawyers listening may not have studied this area as it is not a core subject on a law degree. With that in mind, I will try and give a very basic background to the legal issue at stake here. Obviously, if you invent something, you want to patent it so that other people don't just copy your idea and make money from it. However, this does have to actually be inventive, so I can't just put a brick on a piece of paper and claim that I have invented the paperweight, as that wasn't exactly much of a stretch on my part. In the Patents Act 1977, this is known as the inventive step, and is cleared when the inventor has done something that is, quote, not obvious to a person skilled in the art, end quote. In other words, adding an extra level to a bookshelf might be useful, but it is not exactly inventive. For the High Court, the use of a small daily dose of Tadalafil was sufficient to be inventive, and therefore justify the patent. But the Court of Appeal disagreed, and held that this on its own was not enough of an inventive step. With the case hanging in the balance, proceedings moved to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. From our perspective, I think this is going to be an example of a judgement where the question being asked is relatively simple, but coming up with an answer is far from straightforward. What does it actually mean to be inventive? Well, for a start, the European Patent Office uses something called the Problem and Solution Approach, which has three key steps. 
Firstly, a court has to discern the closest previous art, i.e. before the purported invention, what was the nearest thing to it that was similar. The next step is to actually identify the problem which is to be solved before finally considering whether the move from the so-called previous closest art to the invention in dispute would be obvious to a person who is skilled in that particular area. If it's obvious, then that is not enough of an inventive step for a patent to stand on its own. In UK intellectual property law, there is a similar test, but it has the rather unusual name of windsurfing Pasoli, because it is named after two cases. The approach first came about in the 1985 case of Windsurfing International and Tabor Marine GB Limited, and was then further developed in Pozzoli and BDMO from 2007. As a starting point, the court or tribunal is tasked with establishing a hypothetical person who is an expert in this area, and of course has the expertise that this person would have. A judge would then separately extract the invention that is the subject of the proceedings. From that point, we can carry out a similar exercise to what was described in relation to the European Patent Office, such that a comparison is drawn between the invention and the received knowledge of the time in that field. The final step is to then go back and consider the position as it was before the invention and decide whether the move to get to the invention would have been obvious to our hypothetical expert. All of these tests are still currently a little bit abstract because of the way in which I've described them, so let's try and bring them back to the case at hand. At the time of the invention, we already knew about Tadalafil from a previous patent. And so this invention that is the subject of dispute is the idea that by using a lower dosage, the effects would be less potent and therefore represent an effective treatment for erectile dysfunction. Before we get to the answer to this case, there are a number of factors that can come into play when using this formulation. For a start, there is a question about whether a particular practice or methodology was obvious to try and formed part of what might be described as an established practice in the area. Other factors include who bore the cost, and the burden of the research, the extent to which value judgment was required by the inventor, whether a number of different avenues for further research were open, what was the motivation of the inventor, and were there any other side benefits. On top of all this, Lord Hodge mentioned a couple of factors that relate to how a court itself should come to a decision. For example, it is tempting to use hindsight when looking at an invention and say, oh that's obvious, why didn't I think of that? But in reality, what seems obvious in hindsight is far from it at the time, and it is important for a judge to remember that. What was the result then when all of these factors were applied to this current case? Well, for the justices, the state of knowledge in this area, as it existed at the time of this development by ICOS, already strongly hinted at the purported invention in this patent. Remember, it was the earlier patent that already established the use of Tadalafil, in the treatment of erectile dysfunction, and so the subsequent patent that is in dispute here became almost the implementation of that, rather than something which has the ability to stand on its own. For the Supreme Court, the process of identifying the correct dosage was one of experimentation rather than invention. A persuasive factor in this regard is the fact that the earlier patent actually noted that the appropriate dosage for an adult patient would be somewhere in the range of 0.5 to 800 milligrams per day. So that even offered a starting point for the scientists to work from as they began their clinical testing and reduced that range down further. 
Thus, in the absence of an inventive step within the meaning of the Patents Act 1977, the patent is rendered invalid. The starting point for my own commentary on this case lies in the interference by the Court of Appeal that was then approved by the Supreme Court. In the vast majority of cases, it is only the trial court that will see and hear evidence, and so any interference by a higher court has to be well justified in order to stand up to scrutiny. That is a possible source for criticism in this case, as the judge had already made the decision on this basis as to what constituted obviousness for the context described here, and was within their right to do so. For the higher courts to reject this is a serious step when it does not appear that this is necessarily a mistake, but rather a judgment call. On the other hand, we can also say that the higher courts do have more to work with than usual because on top of the evidence given at trial, there are also the actual patents themselves which are available to the courts. Furthermore, even when the lower court can ascertain what the state of the art was at the time, and even what might be considered obvious, the question of an inventive step is taken from the statute and is therefore a question of law. This might seem like a fine point of distinction, but it is an important one because it allows the Court of Appeal, and subsequently the Supreme Court, to define the parameters of an inventive step as it is laid out. Not only can they overturn a decision like this, but they can also set out the factors that courts should consider when making similar judgments in the future. One thing we haven't asked yet is whether the decision was actually correct on the facts, and it is a little bit more difficult to tell without more substantive background in this area, but from what we have heard it seems like this was the correct choice that was made. The scientist went into this endeavour with knowledge of not only the drug, but also the fact that it could be used to treat erectile dysfunction, as well as the range within which the most appropriate dosage would be found. Even to a layperson, the idea of working out the correct, precise dosage using what is essentially trial and error does not exactly come across as inventive in the normal meaning of the word. Before we finish, you may remember that earlier on, when we were discussing the approaches taken by the courts, we had cause to mention the European Patent Office. Despite the name, this is not an EU institution, but does have close ties to the EU. It is also in the process of undergoing some significant changes, as we move towards the establishment of the Unified Patent Court. The treaty was signed in early 2013 by 25 countries, including the UK, and once established, the idea is that the new court would hear cases relating to both European patents, as well as a new type called unitary patents. The reason this hasn't actually started up yet, and began hearing cases, is because Germany has not yet ratified the treaty as expected. That is down to a legal challenge which suggests that the Unified Patent Court is not as independent as it seems, and that the treaty offends both the rule of law and the democratic principles upon which the German constitution and EU law stand. Since then, the Hungarians have also got cold feet, and this all leads to a race between eventual ratification and Brexit Day, which might go down as one of the slowest races in history. If ratification wins this race, then it may well be that the UK still signs up as expected, although it might still lead to a situation where the UK runs a parallel system, which is exactly what this treaty is seeking to avoid. On the other hand, if the UK's withdrawal from the EU happens first, then it is pretty clear that the UK will simply not implement the underlying EU legislation, and as in so many other areas, we will be outside in the cold. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast. 
and thanks as ever to bensound.com. If you do get the chance to leave a rating and a review of the podcast on iTunes, then that is always very much appreciated. Special thanks this week go out to Asaf24, who left a five-star rating and review on iTunes, so thank you very much to you. I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye!